count on one thing The same God that never fails Will not fail me now You won't fail me now In the waiting The same God that's never late He's working all things out He's working all things out Oh yes I will Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Haven Community Church. We're going to ask you to get um, ready. We're going to open with prayer today. We just thank you, God, for bringing us here to uh, worship your name. Um, and so uh, as the song just said, yes, I will. I will praise you in the lowest valleys and on the mountaintops. So, God, as we are here, whatever situation we're in, lowest valleys or mountaintops, may we praise you and give honor to your name. And we love you. Uh, let's just have a great time in worshiping you. In Christ's name we all pray. Amen. Let's all stand and worship the Lord. This 
is my prayer in the desert when all that's within me feels dry this is my prayer in my hunger and need my god is the god who provides and this is my prayer in the fire in weakness or trial or pain there is a faith moved of more worth than gold so refine me lord through the flame i will bring praise i will bring praise no weapon formed against me shall remain i will rejoice i will declare God is my victory and He is here. This is my prayer in the battle when triumph is still on its way. I am a conqueror and co-heir with Christ so firm on His promise I'll stand. I will bring I will bring praise, no weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice, I will declare, God is my victory and He is me. All of my life, in every season, You are still God, I have a reason to sing. season you are still God I have a reason to sing I have a reason to worship all of my life in every season you are still God I have a reason to sing I have a reason to worship season you are still God I have a reason to sing I have a reason to worship I will, praise, I will bring praise no weapon formed against me shall remain I will rejoice I will declare God is my victory and he The seed I've received, I will sow. I was buried beneath my 
shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried to hide It was my truth Till I met you when you called my name Darkness into your 
Amen. Lord, we just give you praise. We thank you that no matter how far we have journeyed from you, no matter uh, what we do in our lives that seem to be the worst or, or even the minor sins or things in our lives, that God, we have a Lord who, who uh, called our name and we came out of that tomb of sin and death. And so God, as we are here today, we want to hear what you have for us and we want to hear the words that Jesus said, not the ones that we mix up in this world, but we want to hear what you have to say to us. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me get on, on uh, done here. It's like the old, I always love the old joke where the, where the minister had a, um, a cord around him and he, kept, he had a mic cord and he kept getting tangled up in it and he, he'd go and he'd kick it and he'd almost fall again. He was, he was one of those old like fire and brimstone preachers and a little kid leans over his mom and says, if he gets loose, will he hurt us? So <laughs> maybe we'll see if I get loose today, all right? All right, so today I just want to lift up, um, I think we have some prayer requests. I don't know whether somebody put some over here, but I do have some that are here that I want to go ahead and lift up today. Um, We have a prayer request from Debbie Ewing, um, who needs prayers for her younger brother, Steve Steiner. He has been in and out of the hospital, uh, hospital, several of them, and this time they said it doesn't look uh, too good, and she just wants God to do what's best for him at this time, even though they're praying for Miraculous healing, that's what they want to do. Um, Jennifer Lugello has lifted up, and this also came from uh, Bobby Brickner. Tom Brickner's father, um, uh, Tom, has um, had a stroke the other day and was in, admitted to the hospital. Um, and as they run some tests, I did hear that they were planning on, he was doing well, and they were planning on him coming home. Uh, Reagan Sarah has asked for prayers for their daughter, Anne, and her husband, John Powers. Um, they had just heard that his mother passed away yesterday, the other day, after a long illness, and they're flying out to Iowa for the funeral, so pray for the, it's a very large family, so pray for them, they said John has 10 siblings, so there'll be a lot of them going to Iowa, and we know this is uh, an unusual time for that. Uh, Kareem Sanchez, Basilis asks for prayer that Jesus heals and redeems and protects Carla Sanchez and shows her his love. Sandra M. has asked for continued prayers for James B. Gary Stumpf, um, appreciates the prayers on his behalf. He was currently at Anne Arundel Hospital where he had surgery to insert a feeding tube and during the surgery it was discovered that his cancer is self-contained and has not spread. So that's a big praise the Lord. Joanne Cohen, my mom, has asked, said she's right on target with the new treatment that she has after having only two infusions. We want to pray for her. Lisa um, Osborne asked for prayer for her boss's wife, Jamie Mahan, who will um, begin treatments for breast cancer. This, they began them this past Thursday, and also for the family. Um, Judy Music lifted up prayers for Emily Fulmer and family. Her husband, Josh, passed away. They have a two-year-old and are expecting a baby in April. So we want to lift that family in your prayers. Um, and also, Gregory Hen- Hendricks asked for prayers for God's hand to be in the midst of changes in their family. Um, family situation, and other types of things, all right? So there's some of the prayers that we do have on our prayer list, and we want to continue to lift those up. As always, we also do have um, our prayers um, where we've, we are still, I can't wait till this is done. Um, we're doing it every week still. This is week 28. 
tells you how long we've been at this. But this is uh, the COVID-19 Unite 714 prayer that we are praying. Um, hopefully people are praying that uh, at 714 in the morning and the evening. And also just to let you know, if you go to unite714.org, I think it is, or it might become, um, you can double check. And during the week, they do have some prayer service like Wednesdays and some other special ones of, of, of pastors and teachers all around the world. So if you want to check that out, there's some also some very good resources. And we also lift, uh, put these on our website for everybody to go ahead and look at. So we're going to start with prayer. We're going to lift up the names that we put on our prayer list. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. Today is Danny's birthday. You're, you're 83, right, Danny? Okay, there you go. No, um, no Danny's birthday. Um, and so um, we're excited about that. I'm so, I can't hear you. Oh, yes. Also, we need to add Alice Potts. Many of you might know Alice, uh, Vernon Alice Potts. Alice Potts has been very, very sick um, in the hospital. And so we want to continue to lift her in prayers as well. Her husband passed away um, last year, I believe. Um, and so it's just, just a, a loving, awesome lady. So we want to lift her. So happy birthday to Danny. Anybody else having birthdays or anniversaries, we want to lift you up in prayers as well. Okay, so let's go to Lord in prayer. As soon as I read this verse from Ephesians chapter 4, and i got to put my glasses on because I can't read that print. All right? Um, therefore... A prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one Lord, one Spirit, just as you were called, to that one hope that belongs to your call. And in Genesis chapter 11, they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with the children that man of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they will purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Heavenly Father, your scriptures make it clear that unity creates tremendous blessing and releases extraordinary power. We see your matchless power release when even... Two Christians are agree on anything, as is seen in Matthew 18, 19. Unity is an impactful multiplier of, the, of spiritual power. And when your people unite in prayer, they become agents of transformation in culture. And so, Lord, we thank you for Unite 714, this worldwide coalition of unified prayer, and we refuse to waste this divine opportunity. So we come before you with one voice, asking you to heal our wounded lands, restore our broken economies, and pour out your spirit on the people of the earth. Lord, the enemy fears the power of divine unity and will do anything to see it shattered. He has found good soil for sowing discord, frustration, and impatience. And in 2020, our enemy, the accuser of the brethren, has had the opportunity to sow seeds of division in our homes, our relationships, our churches, and our world. This is why the Apostle Paul commands us to make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit. It's even more essential during this critical hour. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and unconditional love, the love of God, we have the power to love, forgive, and humble ourselves even when everything around us is shaking and seems like it's crumbling. So Heavenly Father, in an hour when social tensions are on the rise and the unity of nations around the world has been fractured through ethnic, class, and political divisions, the unity of your Spirit is incredibly vital. So in the name of, your Lord, of our Lord and your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray that you will unify our homes, our relationships, and churches 
of all your people around the world. <clears throat> Give us, we pray, the strength to contend for the unity you desire. For, Lord, there is great power in unity. We know the enemy is terrified by the very thought of your people walking and praying united, your body of Christ coming together. It's clear from Genesis 11, even unbelievers have an incredible power when they are unified. Before you scattered the peoples of the world at the Tower of Babel, you described the awesome power of unity in these words. Behold, they are one people. They have all one language, and nothing they will propose to do will be impossible for them. If this is true of unbelievers, it is impossible to calculate the power released when your church comes together before you and in you with one voice, one spirit, in unified prayer. And so, Heavenly Father, today we come before you as part of a prayer coalition spanning the globe. It's made up of millions of believers around the world who are praying with one voice through every single time zone. And in the name of Jesus, we pray that you will preserve our unity and heal our lands from the ravages of COVID-19 and freshly pour out your Holy Spirit on our fractured planet. For those in our community, we pray for um, Steve Steiner, for Tom Brickner Sr., for Ann and John Powers and the Powers family, for Carla Sanchez, for James B., for Gary Stump, for Joanne Cohen, for Jamie Mann, for Emily Fulmer and family and the loss of her husband, Josh, for Gregory Hendricks, and for Alice Potts, and for, for the good parts, Lord, that we celebrate the joys of birthdays and anniversaries and all those things. We give you praise as we look forward to seeing your hand move in our land, and we will give you all the honor, glory, and power. It belongs to you. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we are in week two of a new series, but I want to touch on some announcements that are, uh, some things that are coming up. Our series is called, um, I Did Not Say That. And as we're getting ready, um, we have a, um, as you know, we don't, many of us don't have paper um, bulletins because um, that's still there for some reason, but we do have a QR code. So we're going to put that up on the screen, leave that up here so you can go ahead and take a look at that and you can just pull your camera up and hold it and there you have, and you have the bulletin and you can fill things in. It's really kind of cool. All right. Um, it's not your grandparents' church, is it? <laughs> um, but anyway, so we do have a couple other things that are going on today after church, immediately following after church. Uh, the youth group, they're going to Sandy Cove um, until 4 p.m. And, um, and so they're going to they're gonna meet and also again on Sunday, the 4th of October um, from 1130 to 1.30. Um, Again, a couple of things. We have grief share. We also have, if you're facing a crisis, um, to go ahead. And we have uh, our Stephen ministry uh, and our Stephen ministers who are uh, really willing to help out and to go ahead and help people through a tough time. We notice that a lot of crazy stuff is on the rise. Um, and so we want to um, recognize that we have, and by that I mean anxiety, depression, suicide, um, loss. I mean, so many people have lost people um, during this time and during this year. So we want to go ahead and make sure that um, we have those available. And part of that is ongoing Stephen ministry, if you need that for a time. But also we, we are in... Um, they're still in uh, 13 weeks of uh, Zoom meetings for um, the loss of a spouse. So if you'd like to, or loss of a loved one, sorry, loss of a, a loved one. So if you want to connect with that, please go ahead and do so uh, tomorrow evening, um, 6.30 to 8.30. And you can see that information on our website or also on Grief Share. Um, and then fa uh, Fall Family Fun Day. Last week we had a good time. Those who were able to come out for the movie out here, it was a, it was a nice crisp fall night. Early, um, got, and the, the screen was 
big and blown up, and there were waffles. Waffles were plentiful, um, and there were kids there. It was good to see people, and they were all, we were all separated out there. Can't you wait till we don't have to talk about that again? Um, but they were out there, and we had a really good time. So what's, I'm really excited. There's going to be a fall family fun day. Say that five times real fast. Um, where Haven's, uh, Haven's Kids um, Sunday School is hosting this day on um, October 24th at 10, from 10 a.m. to noon. And they have a private pavilion for the church and the entire barnyard area. And Pumpkin Patch will be open for enjoyment. So if you have other information, it's $10 um, and $5 for college students um, and 60 plus And two and under are free. Um, all right, so if you have information, you can contact Kate at Haven CC, or you can go ahead and just register on our website. And then um, the card ministry will also be meeting immediately after church today. All right? Wow, that's a lot of things. So that's good where, you know, COVID doesn't keep us from, from doing things and, and being busy. I also want to say after the series, so this is the second week, we'll have two more after this, we will begin our series on hope for mental health, which will be about seven weeks. And um, I'm really excited about that. Um, I know many people have heard about, heard about that and said, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Some great materials. And we'll be talking more about that in the next week or so um, when we come together. All right, so but before that, before we talk about hope for mental health, and I, I really, I'm, I, as I said, I'm really excited because I think that that's an area that the church has, has helped with the negative stigma rather than being part of healing. Um, and so um, before we get to that, we're going to talk about what Jesus didn't say. And so last week, we, did, we talked about forgiveness. And if you're like me, there was a lot of people this week that made you have to forgive them, correct? And you're like, why did I talk about that? That's not fun. Um, so we have that. So today we're going to talk about um, whatever makes you happy, do it. And to let you know, Jesus did not say that. Jesus did not say that. So again, the bulletin, hopefully you're able to, uh, to get that and to move on. But let's, let's start today by talking about, I'm going to give you some things that Jesus did not say. So Jesus did not say, go into all the world and preach whatever makes people happy. He did not say that. Um, we would like for people to, we would love that if Jesus said that, correct? Um, he did not say, whoever wants to be my disciple must affirm themselves and avoid the cross and follow their own hearts. That's not what Jesus said. And this is kind of my favorite one. Uh, Jesus did not say, ask and it will be given to you because, here we go, because God is your celestial sugar daddy. No, he did not say that. Although many of us think that's what happens. He is not that way. All right. So um, we are going to talk about today, again, what Jesus did not say. And we're going to unpack and get in here and hear what God has for us. And if you didn't like forgiveness last week, you're not going to like it this week because we like to be happy, right? We like to be happy. We live in a world where we see. Does anybody like to be miserable? I mean, I, like, I know people who like to make me miserable in life, but most of us like to see happiness. Most of the time, when I'm asking in class, I'll teach a philosophy class, and I'll ask people, what's the main goal of life? What is the main thing? I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. Uh, uh, happiness. So you hear this time and time and time again. And so we're going to use um, today, our scripture comes from John chapter 8, and it's one, it's one of the most famous verses of scripture that I think from a young child, I heard the story, um, Jesus, and it's, it's often titled in your Bible, Jesus and the woman, caught, like, the woman Caught in Adultery, which I find that humorous, and I'll tell you why in a second. But let's read it right now. It says, at dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them, 
And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, I want to I pause here for a second, because basically what's happening here is Jesus is in, like, the town square. And he is, like, leading a small group in the town square or leading, like, a Bible study and talking. And all of a sudden, these Pharisees, who tended to be religious leaders, but they were more concerned about the religiosity and power and control than they were. They were tended to be hypocritical religious men, and they drag a woman out who was caught, caught in adultery. Now, for me, this is where I start to go, okay, because um, it brings me a couple questions, and you'll, you'll go along with me here, and you'll just humor me, because this is how my mind thinks. But obviously, the woman was caught in adultery. My first question is, where's the guy? Right? It took two to tango. You, you understand what I'm saying? So they bring her out, but not him. So obviously somebody is left out of the story here. And the other question is, why were they peeping in her room or wherever they were? Uh, to find the woman caught in the Does anybody else think this when they read scripture, or is it just me? I mean, I, mean, I know my mind is like, this way, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But, um, and, and so, so my question is, the guy doesn't show up, and they're just, oh, here she go. There we go. Grab her, you know, and it's, it's, so it's odd. The other thing that I look into this is she was, as Scripture says, woman caught in the act of adultery. And so what happens is, if she was caught in the act, chances are they pulled her out, barely dressed, and it was the most humili- humiliating point in her entire life. She's naked, vulnerable, in the middle of the town square where Jesus is having a church group. Anybody had that at your, at your church groups? No. All right? And here she is, and here's the thing that gets to me. The men did not care about her at all. But they wanted to use it as a tool to get to Jesus. So here's what happens. They take her. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Then they say, in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman... Now, what do you say? And look at what it says. Now, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Don't you find it? And I I could preach a whole entirely different sermon here, which tells me something. That here are people who are religious leaders that are supposed to stand for God and connect God and humans. And they are using the lowest point of this woman's life to pull her out to get control and to go ahead and use it to keep power and control. And there have been churches and there have been religious institutions throughout history who have misused the, the responsibility that God has given them to crush somebody's life. And that would, that's a whole other sermon, but that's for A today, okay? Um, so this is a complicated situation for Jesus. Here he is. Jesus is known as a teacher, a rabbi. So he would, they would go to him to understand, you know, they didn't have the New Testament. So what they needed Jesus to do is to explain the, the scriptures to him and what it said about the Messiah. And here he is. And at this moment, it's complicated because the law of Moses did say if she was caught in that, that she, they should take her out and throw stones. And it's really interesting. Um, there, there's actually, you know, the internet has all kinds of horrific stuff. But one of the things that they have, they had a man who was, who was a, a rapist and they ended up um, in an Islamic country stoning him. And what they do, they take you in a big area where there is nothing but tons of rocks about this big about baseball, softball size. And hundreds of people stand around and just throw rocks at you until you die. 
This is what this woman was facing. She's not only faced the most humiliating moment of her life. She's not only being used as something to trip up Jesus, but she is facing death by what he says. By one, one quick thing. So Jesus is in a bad situation. If he goes strictly by the law of Moses, boom, it's a death sentence for her. But if Jesus agreed and said, let her go, he would lose his reputation as being somebody who was a man of God and who condoned, condoned her act. So here we are. So what does Jesus do? Classic Jesus. I love this section of scripture. In John 8, chapter 6, he does not say a word. Not one thing. It says he goes ahead and it says, but Jesus bent down. Don't you love this? That they're saying, what do you say, teacher? And they go, we got him. And he goes, now keep in mind, the woman's here. People are surrounding. They got their rocks ready to go. He bends down, doesn't answer, and starts doodling in the dirt. They said, you, Jesus. He's like, hmm. And he's writing things in the dirt. And as he's writing these in the dirt, the biggest question we ever want to know is, what did he write? Um, later manuscripts actually say that he wrote the sins of the accusers. So he might have been like, okay, there's Matthias. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's writing names that they were with. Oh, hmm. let me see. Uh, looking around. I, wouldn't it be cool if Jesus was looking and going, okay, I see Keith. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I see Wes. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because he is the son of God. He knows. So I think that would be so cool. And I kind of believe that's what he's doing. He was writing, his later manuscripts say he was writing, writing down as part of tradition. They passed down that he was writing down their sins. But how cool would it be if he was actually writing their names and dashes and putting a couple of them down? And um, because what's interesting is, and, and this is why we know that he was probably writing something individual and for them, because the word in Greek for, to write down is graphin. Uh, it's where we get graffiti and things like that. And so if he's like, oh, oh Keith, there you go. He's, he, we say he's writing down. But instead of that, the word here is not graphin. It is katagraphin, which actually, kata means against. So he is writing down a record against someone. So that's why I totally believe that Jesus was sitting here and wrote down, put down a word and said, yep, there you go. Got Debbie, got you, uh-huh. And oh, there you go. And he's just writing. He doesn't have to say anything because what he is writing down is against them. Here they go. They pull this woman out and say, the law of Moses says this against him. But meanwhile, some of them are probably guilty of the other sins, but maybe some of them were guilty of the same one. And he's just writing down their names. Say, you remember last week? Okay, there we go. And I think that's so awesome that Jesus does that. And so he he continues on, and he writes it in his finger, and he says, when they kept on questioning him. So again, Jesus is ignoring. He's writing in the dirt. He's writing names. Yoo-hoo, what are you writing? Jesus, we ask you a question. Hello, 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 hello. We, look at all these people. They're ready to go. They've got the stones. And he's like, yeah, Mark, Betty. Uh-huh. He's ignoring them, and he's writing them down. They say, continue to question and then he writes this long list and said to them, let any one of you without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. So he's written this like long thing about all their sins. He's like, oh. so he ignores them and then says, take a look. Any of you without sin? And then he says, and then again, he, 
stooped down and wrote some more. Oh, forgot Betty. Sam. Right, and he keeps going on, keeps doing that time and time and time again. Now, just to let you know, without sin here does not mean, does not mean in the nature that you didn't sin, uh, that, that you didn't have any sin. It means, the, the term here, Jesus was actually saying without wanting to sin. And I think he was saying, I think I know some of you who want to do the same thing with this lady. Some of you have had a desire and some desires here, and guess what? You're calling her out on it? Because Jesus later says, if you have lust in your heart, then you commit adultery, right? He kicked it up a notch. And so Jesus like changed. I, I love the image of what he's doing here. They thought they had him, and Jesus said, no, 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 we're not playing this game. You see, it's always easy to see the sins of other people. But yet, it's often easier to overlook our own. And I think that's where they were doing Like, there's been times I've preached on something. Like, there's been times I, I preached on getting angry and then pulled down the road and somebody cut me off and I didn't yell, hallelujah, praise you, Jesus. You know what I mean? <laughs> you ever done that? Or have you ever been, like, you might do something, like, pre- talk, talk about lying, and then, um, then you're at, uh, you're at, you see people at the grocery store and you're busy and you want to get, get out and you put your phone up to your ear, like, you know, hey, how you doing? And then the phone rings, you know, and you're like, oh, oops, okay. So these things happen a lot. We, it's easy to see where, we're, where other people are off. And, and again, let me just share with you, because sin is a weighty word. Um, but when we're talking about sin, we're pretty much just talking about missing the mark of what God intended. And guess what? Every single one of us has. We like to rank them, don't we? Oh, did you hear what? That, that's worse than, oh, but that's nothing. Okay, we, we do that all the time. And so what, what happens here is, is um, we, we all have missed the mark of what God intended. In John 8, 8 through 11, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left there with the woman still standing there. So here's this woman standing there, a moment from death crushed in her spirit, feeling the lowest she ever has in her life. But notice that, and Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? And I often believe that Jesus was kind of kneeling and standing there, but this woman was just, she might, it says she was standing there, she might have just been like this, covered up, just waiting for the rocks to hit her. Maybe shuddered like this. And Jesus said, uh, woman, where are they? No one has condemned you. She said, no one, sir. He said, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Notice that Jesus didn't say, go now and just be happy. Go now and follow your heart. Or doesn't matter what you do. You go, girl. He didn't say that. Jesus said, go now. That sense of urgency. And leave this life that you're having. It's not what's best for you. Be different. Be free. Don't continue to do these things that keep you bound. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, if you aren't living this life, then you aren't in this situation. So here's the thing. The big question that I have here is, why do we give in to this temptation of sin? Why? Because it sounds fun. And because sin is fun. For a little bit. If it's not, you ain't doing it right. I'm, am I right here? If, if you sin and it ain't fun, you just wasted your sin. The times that I have sinned, they have been fun for that moment. 
Now, there's a cost to pay with it. But during those moments, I had a lot of fun in that moment. And so what, the reason why we do it, I, I don't like not doing unfun things. Do you? So why would I waste my time in doing that? So the temptation is there because it appeals to me. There are certain things that appeal to you that look fun and appealing that to me, I'm not going to bother me. And let me tell you, there's some other things that look good to me that don't to you. And the, the real trouble is there's some things that look good to both of us, and if we're together, we're in trouble. And so we, we put sin in this kind of like, oh, sin. But what it is is something that is just what God what, what appeals to us, that feels good, that looks good, that seems good at the time, but really it's going to cost us something in the long run. Why? Because sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God. And I started thinking about this woman. We don't know much about her, but go with me here. Maybe, maybe her husband's completely inattentive and takes her for granted. Maybe he's verbally or physically abusive. Maybe she's at the office one day and there's a nice guy who gives her attention and as she, he's buying a falafel, I don't know, compliments her and has a nice yarmulke. It's a Jewish culture, go with me. He notices her hair and he's innocent, nothing's wrong. He's, he's funny, he told a joke about a, a rabbi and a fisherman. He comments on her uh, her Instagram post finds her, her thinking to be fascinating and so one day she stay, they stay late and she, he opens up about his own marriage struggles and they connect on a deeper level and he tells her I think I made a mistake I, I wish I hadn't married Martha down the road I wish I had married you someone like you and then he accidentally, when he's reaching over for the, uh, the Sabbath wine, he brushes against her. And as he brushes against her, is it on purpose or makes her heart leap a little bit? Realizes her emotions are out of control and she begins to, what was so wrong feels so right and he's what's missing and he'd make her happy. And she begins to hypothesize all kinds of things and she, she tells her friend in the town square as they're on their way with jars of water on their heads to talk about things. And her friend says, hey, you know, not going to hurt anybody. Follow your heart, girl. And step by step into this moment, she has followed something because of her own brokenness that put her in a place where now she is partially dressed in a town square with rocks facing her and her whole entire life is at the hands of some stranger known as a teacher. And with him saying, yeah, follow the law of Moses, she's dead. And she doesn't know what to do. This is a story that has been written a thousand times or a million times in history because when the, the bottom line is my happiness, when the bottom line is my happiness, Happiness becomes the standard by which I judge my actions. So when we say, I want to be happy, then we end up using emotion. And I've said several times that emotion often spins us in a different area. Emotion will always fail us. Our feelings always fail us. 
as you all know, I am an Eagles fan. And they have failed me the last two weeks. And so have my emotions. Oh, today's the day they're going to win. I am tempered with no emotion today, but give me time at 1 o'clock. I will be emotional once again because that's where it is. And I, it ruins my week early on. You know what I mean? I can't watch this. I can't do that. Because I'm based in my emotions. When it all comes down to it, it really doesn't matter that much in my life. You see, because without a be- we, we live in a time where we have a culture that has an approach to life that is relativistic. They have relativistic beliefs that there's no absolute truth, that what's true for you is not true for me, and you do what you want as long as it doesn't inf- and make you happy as long as it doesn't infringe on my happiness, and we'll all be happy in our separate places together. So what is this relativistic culture? Relativism is the belief that everything is relative, that there is no absolute, no, no absolute truth. We hear this all the time. In, in our culture today. Well, that may be true of you, but that's not true of me. Well, that's your truth, but I have a different one. If that's what you believe, fine, but that's not what I believe. You live yours, I'll live mine. You live your truth, I'll live my truth. But the fact is, without a belief in absolute truth, truth is defined by whatever makes me happy. So in the sense, there is absolutely no truth. You know, try that on your, on your math test, students, and see how that works. Um, I did this thing, well, that's your truth, teacher. It's not mine. You know, and there are things that are, are true and that are, that, are, that are false. There are things that are good and are bad. But we have mixed that up so much, so not to offend people, but I got to tell you, the gospel and sin is, offens- is offensive. Sin is offensive to God because it's what separated us from the beginning from God. It's missing the mark. It's not what God intended for us. God has a plan for our life, and he says, yeah, I know that you say you want to do this, but I have something better for you. And so when we live life in this, in this area, we end up having a big problem. And what happens is, and I'm even struggling to say it now, is, I, is that so many think that happiness and holiness are at complete odds with each other. I've even heard pastors, and I've probably said it, if you could go back through the archives and finally say it, that God wants you holy, not happy. Why do we even present it that it's one or the other? That it's, it's got to be one or the other. We feel like we have to choose one way or the other. We have to choose God's path or to be happy. And we feel like, and I felt this for years, if we choose holiness, then we're destined to miserable existence. That I am doomed to a life as a big old nerd, who wears dress shirts all buttoned up like this with a braided belt, listening to David Meese, if you don't know who that is, go back, and Amy Grant cassette tapes, and having a ringtone that says, our God is an awesome God, he reigns, and that's what I think I gotta live my existence like. If you don't know what what cassette tapes are, I don't like you at all. If you know what Amy Grant is, she's still around out there, all right? But you know what I'm saying, right? That's what the opinion was that we had to do. We had to act certain ways. Let me ask just a real question. How many of you were grew up in a church that spent more time telling you what you could not do than what you could do in Christ, right? And some of you are afraid to raise your hand because you weren't allowed to raise your hands in church, right? You had to sit still and not breathe. We told people the joy of the Lord, sit there, don't move, don't breathe, don't say anything, don't, put your, don't clap. I remember, don't you love when, you go to, when you've been part of churches and somebody does something, they sing, they do something, and one, that one person who's not been in church in a while goes, and stops clapping because everybody goes, clapped in church. How dare he? Right? We have this don't, 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 in God good. No. 
No, it's not. There's, it's because we have this opinion, and the church has been the worst one of saying, you got to be happy or holy. You need to choose. But that's not how I see Jesus. That's not how I see what God has said to us. It, God is not hanging out in heaven, looking down upon his children who he loves, and saying, thank me, I want them miserable. He didn't write John 3.16 to say, for God so loved the world that he wants us to be holy and miserable. He is a good, good, loving, heavenly father. I gotta tell you, I hate when my children are miserable. Anybody hate when your children are miserable? You know why? Because they make you miserable. <laughs> when your children are miserable, you are not happy. So what do you think why would you think that God would want his children to be miserable? When my kids are laughing and joking with each other or just messing with each other and having fun and there's no conflict and they're just getting along, it could be the dumbest thing that they're doing. But when I hear that laughter, it does my heart good. So why do we think that our Heavenly Father is any different than us? You don't think he's broken and tired of us fighting along denominational lines? You don't think he's tired of us fighting with people that we're supposed to be reaching? That you don't think that he, he's, he's tired of us like, like the Pharisees grabbing people out of their sin and displaying them in public for everybody and saying, this is the one that God hates, this is the one, and meanwhile Jesus will begin to write in the dirt the same things that we're doing as a church? I mean, we're not... We're not absolved of our own stuff. So we as a church got to stop throwing those things out there and saying, oh, no, this is the one. And get to the, because Jesus would just say, we'd say, right, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? And he's going to kneel down and write Jack. And he's going to write a long list of things. And I'm going to drop my stones. We forget that because we look at them and us and we look at happiness and holiness as two different things that are, that are here. And it's not different. If we look at what he says in Matthew, he said, if you then, though you are evil, isn't that great that Jesus says, hey, you guys are evil. That's a good, good, that you can, write, you, can, you can hashtag that today. I am evil, all right? They told me that in church. Um, know how to give good gifts to your children. Don't you love to give your kids good stuff? Like, I, I love to give my kids stuff that they, they desired, they wanted, something that they like. And, I, and, you know, I'll work hard for it. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll search all around, and I'll, I like to find things, and I want to give them a good gift. And I'm evil. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who love him? You see, the problem is we are all, like that old country song, looking for love in all the wrong places. Instead, we're looking for happiness in, all, in the wrong place. Max Lucado the author, Christian author, has a great illustration that I want to share with you from one of his books. And he says, if you take a fish and place him on the beach, watch his gills gasp and scales dry, is he happy? No. So how do you make him happy? Do you cover him with a mountain of cash? Do you give him a beach chair, some sunglasses, and some suntan lotion? Um, did you bring him a Playfish magazine and a martini? I'm just reading, okay. Um, do you give him a wardrobe with double-breasted fins and people-skin shoes? Of course not. Do you throw him a party 
and say, yay, fish out of water. No. How do you make him happy? You put him back in his element. You put him back in the water. He will never be happy on the beach simply because he was not made for the beach. He was made for the water. And what Lucado is telling us there is this. We will never be happy on earth because we weren't made for earth. You will have moments of joy and you have glimpses of light. You will know moments uh, and even maybe days or weeks of peace. But they don't compare with the happiness that God has prepared for us in heaven that lies ahead. We weren't made for the earth. We're told to be holy. And what does holy mean? A lot of us think holy means, oh, hello. Yes. And we talk in these and nows in ancient British English. Holy just means set apart. To be different. To lower your expectations of earth and not of heaven. You see, no new car, no new boat, no new boyfriend or girlfriend or any kind of relationship, no vacation, no social media likes, no money, uh, no relationship, I said friendship, no hairstyle, no shopping will give you the joy that your heart craves. All those things are not bad. You hear me? All those things are not bad. I like my Jeep. I like to slide in that. I like it. I'm like, thank you, God, that I have this. I love this. This is a nice car. This is the best car I've ever had. I, my first car was a Chevette. You remember those things. Go with me. I'm glad I have this car. But none of those things can ever give me the true joy that God has prepared for me when I leave this world. You see, holiness is not conflicting or clashing with happiness. They are not against each other, but they are connected and intertwined. When we serve and live for God, that we, we find things that are lasting and eternal. You see, why? Because holiness, and, and let me again tell you what holiness is. It's serving and living God. It's accomplishing the purpose God has for you. It's being different than the rest of the world. It's being different than what people say. Holiness is the path to true happiness and joy. In Psalm 1611, David wrote this. He said, you'll make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is what? Fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. That is why Jesus did not say to this woman, I am completely embarrassed by your behavior. After all God and I and religion has done for you. This is the way you choose to live? You're pathetic. You're busting hell wide open. No, what Jesus did say was, there's something better for you. I want you to be free. I want you to leave the lower things of this sin-filled world and live for the things that really, really matter in life, that are lasting. I'd love to know the rest of her story, wouldn't you? I would say that with this encounter, her life was forever changed. But she still had a choice. Many of us, our lives have been changed by Christ, but we still go back. We still go back. And I would hate to think that this woman went right back after all. Like she had a couple good days, but then somebody says, yeah, we know you. We saw you in the town square. We know all about you. And they reminded her of her sin, and instead of saying, but no, 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 I'm sorry, Jesus took care of that. Remember, he wrote in the dirt, and I remember seeing your name there. And he told me to go, and I left 
that life. That's not who I am anymore. The saddest thing could ever be that she bought into what people said about her. She bought into the labels that she was given, called everything in the book. And because of that, and because of her own unhappiness and her own confusion of heart and mind, the biggest tragedy would be if she went right back to that lifestyle. We don't know. We don't know because the story kind of ends pretty abruptly. For me in my life, I've had several moments of life where I've settled for something lesser. College was one of those big times of life where I settled for everything less than what God wanted me to be, and I found myself, um, I, I found myself having fun. But then when the, when the party ends and nobody was around, I was pretty lonely. There were times where I was so lonely that I wished my life was over. Times that I even thought about taking my life and be, having this done because I had had God call my, call, make callings on my life, but I never, ever, ever thought that, I, I did, certainly didn't want to do what my dad did. To me, that would have been living hell. And yet I was going to do everything I could so I could be, that the, the end of my life could be somebody dragging me out into the street and stoning me dead and that would have been fine with me. Because I didn't want what God had for me because I saw that other stuff that goes with it. And so often, we, and I didn't want to have to wear a halo every day. I'm just Jack. Like, even when I first became a pastor, people would say, Reverend Cohen. I said, no, that's my dad. You know, because I, you know, because I, that carries with it something to me that I'm like, eh, all right? And so, so it was, it's through a process, kicking and screaming. I always relate to Jonah very, very well, because the boat ride's pretty fun, and then you just had enough, and you're like, throw me over. But darn it, there's a big fish that swallowed me up. And somewhere I end up vomiting on the beach somewhere. And you know what? Have you ever had fish vomit on you? It don't smell too good. But so many of us are just like Jonah that we would much rather choose the, the vomity, nasty stomach of a fish and the world and all that stench and disgustingness. We would much rather have that as a call because that's who we believe we are. That's what we believe we should deal with. That's what people have told us for years. And so we're like, this is my lot in life. Much like that woman, it was her lot in life. Much like Jonah, he's like, I'll stay here. This is better than having to go. And God says, no, I called you and I've loved you with an everlasting love. So guess what? Vomit you up on a beach. Let me clean you up. Get your hips over to Nineveh. And what will happen, much like Jonah, will be one of those people that, God, I told you you were going to forgive that person. I don't want to. Remember last week. And this is why I don't want to be holy. Anybody here with me? Oh, but everybody who Jesus called, that they actually answered the call. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We have, uh, we have, Matthew was a tax collector, hated by people, became a guy who wrote one of the Gospels that changed the world. Simon Peter, a, a fisherman, and who was horrible at catching fish, so I don't know he made a very good living, but open mouth and serve foot, that he became a leader in the early church, so much so that our Catholic brothers and sisters look at him at the first pope. That's a long way from fisherman, 
who's sinking in the water, who's opening mouth, insert foot, who's cursing that he knew God. We like to say, he denied Jesus. No, he cursed. He pulled, out the, he pulled out some of that old fisherman language and threw it there about Jesus. And he became the person that Jesus built his church upon. Why? Because he stopped listening to people saying, aren't you the Galilean? And he said, no, I was, but now I am Peter. I am the rock in which Christ will build his church. You can go from that yourself. Time and time again, there are so, some of you right, who are right here right now that you are steeped in your own, your own stuff, that you are overeating and can't stop overspending and you can't stop smoking and you can't, you're hiding in the bottom of a bottle or a bottom of a prescription bottle. You are in the wrong relationships or you're seeking the wrong relationships to have this pain go away from you. you you're with somebody who mistreats you. You continually go back to a codependent, dealing with abuse, mental, physical, sexual, you name it. You keep going back because you said, that's my lot in life and I can't do without them. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus says, go now and leave that life. Because I have something greater for you. And you're never, ever going to get it if you stay in there. And you believe the crap that the world is telling you, that people are telling you, and that you are even believing. You are a child, you're a son and a daughter of the living God, and he loves you. And he's not sitting on a cloud waiting to part your head with lightning bolts and say, thank God they're holy and miserable. No, he said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly to the full. And you're going to get a little glimpse of it here, but guess what? Through me and through my son, there's a day when I'm going to call my church home and you're going to get all the glories of heaven, all those riches that I prepare for you. Remember, sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God. So I have a question. What do you do when you know it's not God's best, but you now find yourself barely dressed in the street ashamed in the lowest point of your life, and you don't know how you got here. You're not alone. Not just this woman, not just Jonah, but there's a guy named Paul who wrote most of the New Testament who said, why do I not do what I want to do? But I always do what I don't want to do, and that what I'm doing is the sin that is in me and it's dragging me. In other words, Paul said, this is hard under my own strength, but I'm here to tell you about something. Here's the factor that makes it better. It is about the, it's not about you and your faithfulness and who you are. It's about the faithfulness of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13, it says, Paul writes this, and Paul would know, and God is what? Faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. There's a way out. A lot of times, we don't want to go. My grandmother used to say, God doesn't close a door where he doesn't open a window. It takes a little more effort to get out a window, but he provides a way out. Um, so what we're saying is God is faithful and he's going to give you a way out so that you can endure it. Sometimes that doesn't mean that he removes you from the situation. Sometimes he's saying, you're there and I'm going to give you enough strength to endure it and to make it every day. If you'll just listen to me, I'll give you that way out. Now, I kind of like video games. I always have. Like, we're talking back from the days of Pong. Remember those? Uh, from those days. And they have, like, things like Grand Theft Auto now and Call of Duty. There's, like, a billion different Call of Duty games and things like that. But I want to take you back to the glory days, the days where God made video games where you had Pac-Man and you had a game called Asteroids. Asteroids, for you young ones, was a little white 
triangle that would shoot straight little lines. And you could move it around, and you had these little globby kind of like round asteroids that were coming at you, and you could move this ship around and go, you had an endless supply of, and you'd hit them, and then that spaceship would come, and you're like, no, I gotta get it, gotta get it. You spin all around, and people, some of the older people in here are living your glory days. Yes, asteroids, and and you had to put in quarters, remember that, and you'd play it, and and you would do that, and and then that more asteroids would come, and you, and you could do this, and sometimes when the asteroids were coming so much, you were like, what do I do, and what did you do? Anybody remember? You hit the hyperspace button, which made you disappear, and you plopped up somewhere else on the screen. That when the asteroids were too big and it seemed like there was no hope, bam, you hit hyperspace. And this is what Jesus is saying to us here today. He's telling us that we have a button. His name is Jesus. We can hit it when life gets too much, and we have his. Ready? I didn't create this. I found it, and I stole it from a pastor, and I'm proud of it. Hyper grace. Don't you love it? That we can just boom, and he'll give us a, he'll give us a way out a way out so that we could kind of start this thing again and get a refreshing, pull ourselves away. Sometimes it may be, I heard a pastor one time say that sometimes the best way that God gives you to get out of a temptation is to run. Resist temptation and flee. It means run. And sometimes that's the best thing that we can do. Look, why, why am I saying this? Because every temptation is an invitation to depend on, on Jesus Christ. Every time you feel trapped, lost, at your lowest point, wondering how you got here, wondering if you ever have a future, through God and his hyper grace, he gives you a way out. What is this hyper grace? It's the undeserved love and favor of a loving God who wants us both happy and holy. God is not embarrassed or ashamed of you. People are. And often people are embarrassed or ashamed because they don't want somebody writing their own stuff in the dirt. He loves you and he wants you to be free. I struggle in my own life with these things, but I can tell you some of the greatest points in my life was when God miraculously helped me just let go and let him do what he needed to do. You see, there is a big difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse is, uh uh-oh, I got caught. I'm sorry. Repentance is two words, re, to turn, and pent is to the highest, like the penthouse, the highest house, the nice one. So what we do when we, when we repent, and, and again, I want to tell you, sin and repentance have very weighty church words, right? We've given to them this weight to it. Sin just means missing the mark of God, and honestly what it means is just settling for the lower, settling for the lower stuff of this world over God. And when we repent, we turn and go to the higher that God has prepared for us. I guess what I know, I know what's here. And I know that I've embraced what's here. And I know that that may be one of the reasons why I'm so broken. I know that that might be one of the reasons why I'm so lonely and I feel so vulnerable and I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm on the street naked and vulnerable and waiting for somebody to throw rocks at me. You may feel that way, and that's repentance. When you repent, you are going now. You're just making a decision like that woman. If, she, if Jesus said, go now, and she sat there, 
Go now and leave. That's what we're doing. We're going now, leaving the lower things of this world for the higher things of Christ. And uh, Pastor Craig Groeschel put this, um, this uh, sentence together several years ago, and I just love it. So I'm going to steal it from him, and I'm going to give it to you. But he said this. He, he looked up rewords. When you rebuke the enemy and return to God by repenting of your sins and receiving Christ, your spirit is reborn, your mind is renewed, your life rebuilt, and while you're reconciled, reconciled by the grace of Jesus Christ, you reap the rewards of relationship causing revival to break out. Isn't that awesome? That is the gospel. It's all about the re. When you feel trapped and caught, and broken, and ashamed. Jesus does not say, that's not good. You're not good. Just go now and do what makes you happy then. No, he doesn't say that. He said, I've got a better plan, a better path for you. I'm not going to let anyone else throw stones at you. Go and be free. Because happiness and holiness are not against each other. They are actually really connected. Why? Because you were not created to be a fish out of water here on earth. You were created to walk in truth, and that's where you find lasting and true joy in the higher things of God. So I just want to say to you today, I know the people in the sound of my voice, and I know that just many people that are here today, you are um, you're struggling. You're struggling with what it means, what people think, how people think you should be. You're struggling with the fact of what repentance is. You've been told that that's, you're no good. So if I'm no good, then why, why would God ever want me if I'm no good? Here's the thing. He loves you so much that he sent his son. Sent his son to come into this world to live. But he was born completely to die for you and me. To pay the ultimate price. So that in our brokenness, in our brokenness that we, we want to pick out where everybody else is headed and what their sins are and where they're headed and what they're doing. And we say, look, look, God, here's this one. And a lot of times that's to make us feel better, but Jesus doesn't answer us. We're like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about this person? He starts writing in the dirt. Some of us are so convict, convicted about what's written in the dirt that we want to point the finger at everybody else and we feel in our own loss, gosh, I really hope that it never comes to the point that I have to have remorse. I hope that God doesn't find out about this. I hope somebody doesn't find out about this. I hope this isn't out there. And so we still struggle and we still deal with the fact of who we really are. We look around everybody else around us and we say, man, that person looks so much, so much better than me. And maybe we're like that woman who says, well, gosh, the ones up the road, they're so much better. They're such, the people who sit next, I know they're such a stronger Christian. And meanwhile, we don't know what Jesus was writing in the dirt about them. But maybe the voice we need to quiet the most is the one that's in our head and in our hearts. I'm going to tell you something today. God knows exactly what you've done. He knows. Remember, he told them not wanting to sin. He knows what you want to do. He said, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to love you. Oh, you've said things and done things and, and, uh, to people that you love or even that you don't love. And now you're sitting here today and saying, my gosh, I, God would never want anything to do with me. Maybe my whole life is a mistake. Maybe I'm a mistake. And he says, 
I don't make mistakes. I have children that I love and I have a call on their lives. And whatever you've done, I've paid the price. And because I've paid the price, go now. Repent. Forget the stuff that's drawing you in. Forget those people who you care so much about what they think. You care so much about what you want to put on. He might say right now, look at your pastor. That dude's a mess. Oh, but he's my child. And I could write some stuff in the dirt, but that's why Jack will never throw a stone at you. I'm not here to be your Pharisee. I'm here to be your brother in Christ and to tell you there's a God who loves you that when you mess up, you cannot mess up or journey too far from the grace of God. The hyper grace, bam, he hits the button and you're put right back on. All you have to do is repent. Turn around and say, I want better for my life. I want the greater things that you have planned out for me, God. I want to, yes, I'm in the world and there's some good things about that, but God, I want what you have for me. You brought me into this world. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You have created me and have a plan for my life. I will not listen anymore to what the world says. I won't listen to what I've been told. I won't listen to what's been happened to me. I'm going to tell you what I am going to do. I am going to recognize that I am a child of God. And because I am a child of God, your amazing grace has rescued me. You lifted me out of the miry bog. You put my feet upon a rock and made my footsteps firm. And many will see and many will hear the goodness of God in my broken, messed up life because of you, Jesus. That's the gospel. Church doesn't matter a hill of beans if we have all this and we're outside, inside, upside down. I don't care where we are. If we don't have a concept that we've got to stop beating up the world and beating up each other because of our sins, we've got to quit throwing rocks and quit dragging people out because we rank something greater when Jesus would write down in the dirt and tell us, you are as bad if not worse, but I saved you and I love you, so extend that grace. Then and only then we can be the body of Christ. Then and only then can we be united. Then and only then when we approach people, we can have conversations and we can have grace and love. And then and only then we in the church don't give our own people a deal that we have to be perfect. We are not perfect. We are broken. 2020 stinks. Life stinks a lot of times. Our relationships stink. There's a lot of stench. But there is a God who has a bomb in Gilead that he comes down and Jesus said, I am the rose of Sharon and I smell sweet. And I'll take that stench and remove it as far as the east is to the west because I love you. All right? I can stand up here and say this all day. But unless we grasp it in our hearts and our minds for ourselves and for the world, we have no hope. Because Jesus is not an institution. He's a Savior. So let's stand and let's just praise Him. Lord God, as we come to you today, as we close out this service, I thank you, God. I'm going to say this. I thank you that I am a sinner and I am good at it. But I thank you ultimately, God, that even in the midst of my sin, in the midst of my shame, in the midst of the the ways I failed you, years previous and the way I failed you here today and I will tomorrow that that God you're not holding those against me but through repentance through me saying Lord 
I need something different. I just need, I just need you. I need your presence. I need your Holy Spirit. I need you to go ahead and more my life. So God, I am, I am repenting now of every time I've missed the mark for you. For those, as we like in the church like to say, the sins of omission, the ones we know we did, uh, the sins of commission that we know that we did and the sins of omission that we're not sure that we did. God, regardless of what we want to call them, they still miss your mark. And I thank you that you paid the price with every pound of the nail, with every stripe upon your back. And you cried out in the last prayer, it is finished, that you took care of that. So I love you. And so someone in the sound of my voice today, you've been doing church, but you haven't really been coming to Jesus. So at this moment, it's a come to Jesus moment, not in one like we're going to dangle you over the fire's hell, but one that just says you're laying out on a, on a street at the lowest point in your life, and you feel like life is over. Go from this life. I have something better. And may you choose that. And, and if you think it's, it, that, that happiness isn't related to holiness, when you make a step to become holy, all heaven throws a party. If you like a party, then go ahead and have that. So God, we love you. We thank you for your, for your hyper grace, which is so glorious, so amazing. God, speak to us this day. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Serving, you are higher. 
marvelous and glorious grace of God. Isn't that the best? I want to go ahead and give you what I, I forgot to, um, I'm so confused right now because I don't know, I'm in a different world. But next week, I just wanted to tell you, um, oh, it's not there. I come back next week. I'm going to talk about something else that Jesus didn't say. Um, anyway, it was there. It's not there now, but I know uh, who it's there. <laughs> so but anyway, have a great week in Jesus and just know that no matter where you are, no matter what has been done, no matter what place you're in, no matter whether you're in, in the middle of the road or you're, you're just living life and there's something that's not there, you're not connected, you have an amazing grace, a glorious grace that you can hit it, boom, hyper, and he will put you right back on and he will 
protect you, guide you, and he'll give you enough just to, to, to withhold it, to withstand it, to keep going. So I guess what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to mess you up now. When you leave here, you're going to be tempted, and he'll give you a way out because he loves you. Amen? Have a great week. God bless. Group hug. Bye.